best you can share it a little bit that I'm actually a transported Hoosier that is becoming a Michigander, even though I did start out as a Michigander by birth. But in keeping with Michigan traditions now, we have become up north people. So not every summer, but probably every other summer since we've come here, we have gone up north. And we have found our own up north place. And yes, it is on Lake Michigan. And it's a place called Manistee, Michigan. How many have been to Manistee? All right, that looks familiar. Got that nice channel running through town there. And we go up here and have a great time, stay at the same place every time. And it's just become our family place there. And we enjoy some of the things in and around Manistee, for instance. Uh, we enjoy the Fifth Avenue Beach. We like that more than the First Street Beach. And partly we, our place where we stay is on that side of the uh, of the channel there, so the, the Fifth Avenue Beach, we can get down there, get some sunburn, maybe get some suntan, excuse me, and uh, get down there to the beach. We also enjoy the river walk. In fact, uh, well, my wife and I enjoy running on the river walk. My kids have seen the river walk, but never on a running basis. Um, they're usually in bed when we're out there running around uh, um, on the river walk, up and down there, trying to enjoy it. Well, I don't really enjoy running that much, but Boy, there's something about running along the channel there, and it's mostly boardwalks, so it's nice and bouncy, and have a good time that. When we're up there, we usually head north a little bit more from there, up to the Arcadia Dunes, and uh, that's one of our favorite places. And if, if you've been up to, like, Sleeping Bear Dunes, you can stay about 30 minutes south, and that's where these dunes are. Nobody walks out there, Well, we might be out there. Absolutely spectacular. We love to get up there. We also enjoy this, the Pine River. And a lot of times that's about an hour to the uh, to the east of uh, Manistee, but we'll go over and rent some kayaks and do the Pine River, and we have a great time. And here's probably our, our biggest favorite thing as we go up there is the sunset. So no matter what we're doing at 9 o'clock at night, it's like, oh, we stop that, and we hop in the van, and we drive, well, sometimes we, like, We'll walk down to the beach. We usually drive down to the beach, and we stand there, and we ooh and ah over the sunset. And it's like, that's got to be the best one we've ever seen. And then the next night, we go, and it's like, oh, that's got to be the best one we've ever seen. But we have a great time going up north to the lake. But you know what? I don't think we're the only ones who do that. In fact, I know we're not the only ones who do that, but I think you can go all the way back in history, about 2,000 years before that, to somebody who went up north to the lake. The lake that he went to was actually the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know, this is just my speculation, but I think that this was one of those special places that Jesus went. Jesus certainly had places that he liked, and we pick that up as we read through scriptures. A lot of times it would say he's going off to pray, and we get that sense that when he went off to pray, it wasn't just to some random place. But there were places that he liked to go where he could get away from the crowds or get away from the noise and the, the hustle and bustle of life and have some alone time. This is actually a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Still there today. You can still go visit it today. But I think this was one of the places that Jesus went up north. And I think that maybe it was one of his places up north. So we want to go and we want to visit this place up north because it was one of Jesus' places, but it was also a place where a story took place that I think is really important to us today. And it's the story that involves not just Jesus, but it also the story that involves Peter as well. And I'm choosing this story because it's the first recorded activity of Jesus up north in the Galilee region. 
but it also introduces a key focus of Jesus' ministry. Jesus could have actually come, I suppose, you know, on a Wednesday, get crucified on Thursday, Friday, whatever your belief is, or rise again from the dead on Sunday, go back to heaven on Monday, and could have accomplished the redemption gospel story. But he came to earth for 30 plus years because he was about some other things too. And one of the key things that he was about was this idea of discipleship or followership, if you want to use that term, or what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. And so we want to explore that idea today. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Now, follower is a word that in our context has a little bit of a different meaning to us. We use it oftentimes in sports where we would say, well, I follow the Lions, or I follow the the, the Pistons, or I follow the Spartans, or, or I follow the Tigers, and we are followers of these teams. We don't really do much in if it's you know a professional sports team in, in Detroit here, we don't put a whole lot of stock in it anyhow because it's not going anywhere. Uh, it, at least it hasn't for a while now. But we still we track along with it and we're followers, but we're spectators. We're outsiders looking in, just kind of keep a track because it provides us some level of entertainment. We also see this term follower used in social media today. Now, on Facebook, if people are connecting with you, they're called friends, which is probably not the best term because they may or may not be friends. But when we get to things like Twitter or when we get to things like Instagram, we don't call them friends. We call them followers. And so we we have the people that we follow and we keep track of how many people who are our followers. But again, there's not like a big commitment to that unless you you know consider moving your thumbs up and down periodically. A, a lot of, you know, commitment. It's just something that we do for entertainment or to kind of kill time or, or, or to just watch what's going on. But in Jesus' day, the term follower had an entirely different meaning because when you were a follower, you weren't a fan. You were all in. In fact, follower was something that got used back in the religious community of the teachers of the day, the rabbis, would have followers. And here's how that worked. Every Jewish boy would be educated in the synagogue until he was about 13 years of age. At that point, formal education was done, and the rabbis or the religious leaders of the day would come into these schools. Well, actually, they were teaching in these schools. But they would pick out the top prospects out of each class, if you want to call it that, and say, hey, stick with me here. Be my follower. And everybody else would be dismissed and they would go back home and they would have to find a profession. And most of them would find professions within the, within the family business, including the four guys that we look at here today, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Family business was fishing. And so they would have been educated in that school, but at age 13, they wouldn't have been chosen to go any further, so they went back to their profession. But the ones that were chosen became the followers of these rabbis. And the classes now were not in a classroom setting, but the classes now were actually walking through life with these rabbis and learning from them how they handled different situations, what they did with these relationships, the viewpoints they had on life, and they would observe them up close and personal, and they would try to learn from them to where they actually took on 
not their personality, but where they took on their viewpoint and their outlook in their take on life, in their take on religion, in their take on spirituality. And so the invitation by Jesus, which we're going to look at here in just a minute, to follow was not to be a fan. It was to be something far more and far greater than that. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to go to a passage that we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 4. And if you want to use your Bible to get there, that's great. If you're following along on your, your tablet or on your phone, you can go there to Matthew chapter 4. But I want to explore two questions today for us to think about. The first question is, what does it really mean for us to be followers of Christ? It's not quite the same as it would have been for Peter, Andrew, James, or John, or any of the people in that day. But what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus Christ? And then I want to add a second question to that. How well are we doing at being followers? So what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And how well are we doing at being followers? So let's read in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. So he's going up north. And what's preceded this verse right here is the baptism of Jesus in Jordan. He's been tempted in the wilderness. And now he's heading back north. And evidently, he goes by home. The next verse says there in verse number 13, leaving Nazareth. So he had gone up to Galilee, gone to Nazareth. He leaves Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And that lake was the Sea of Galilee that you're looking at on the screen right there. And he did this to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the Galilee of the nations. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of the death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we actually talked about this last week, that one of the reasons that Jesus went up north to Galilee was because it was prophesied that he would do so. This passage also picks up on the idea that this is where the greatest Gentile proliferation was in the day. And so the gospel was not just for the Jew, it was for the Gentile as well. And so this was indicative of that. And we also talked about last week how it was Jesus wanted to go into a dark place. And Galilee would have been one of the darker places spiritually in Israel at that time. And he became the light. And so that all sets up for what comes in this next verse, though. Verse number 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, what? Come, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And once they left their nets and they followed him. Now that seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? If you've got these guys that are fishermen, and this stranger walks along beside the lake, walks up to them and says, hey, um, follow me. And they're like, okay. So what's, what goes on there? Well, this was not Jesus' first encounter with these brothers. In fact, you can go back into to, to John chapter 1. We talked about that actually last summer when we did this series on uh, rock formation, the life of Peter. But in John 1, Jesus had actually down there in, in Judea by the Jordan where John was baptizing, where Jesus had been baptizing, or had been baptized. 
he met these brothers, and he had spent some time with these brothers, and then they had evidently gone their separate ways. And so the brothers, uh, Andrew and Peter at least, went back to Bethsaida, where they're from. They may have gone back to Capernaum, which is like the next door town. Jesus went back to, to Nazareth, but they reconvened there beside the lake. In fact, let me just read this passage from John 1. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So that event in John took place still down in Judea. This is the first thing we see in Galilee, but it's not the first meeting that Peter and Andrew and James and John have with Jesus. And we're not sure about James and John. So let me just show you this on a map here, where we are. So this is the Jordan River, and the baptism here would have been, well, fittingly right where our baptistry is, okay? This is where the, the baptism of, of Jesus and uh, John was baptizing down there. They separate there. Jesus goes to Nazareth. This is the town where he grew up. Bethsaida is the town where Peter and Andrew would have grown up. And Capernaum becomes the uh, central place where... where really Jesus' headquarters. Most of what he does, he does out of Capernaum. He goes other places. But Capernaum becomes kind of the central place. So, so Jesus travels from Nazareth to Capernaum. These guys, maybe in Bethsaida, come down to Capernaum. And somewhere along the lake shore here is where that story in Matthew chapter 14, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 4 takes place, where Jesus calls them to follow but from that story, we start to learn some things about what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. The first one is this. Following Jesus is about transformation. Jesus said, I will make you not fishermen, but fishers of men. I'm going to make you something different from what you've been. Your profession has been about fishing for fish. I'm going to make your profession about fishing for men. I'm going to change what your world is all about. If you back up into that story in John chapter 1, Jesus said, your name is Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. It wasn't just that I'm going to give you a different name. I'm going to make you somebody different. And when we talk about following Christ, we're talking about transformation. And Jesus intends and wants to change us from who we are to who we were created to be. And that's a pretty incredible thought, isn't it? That whatever it is that you and I are as we step into this room or we step into our jobs or we step into life, whatever, Jesus looks at us, you know what, I want you to be different. And then what does he say? He says, I'm going to make you different. And so it's not transformation where we work harder and, and try to do better. It's transformation where Jesus says, here, let me help you change. And if we are following Jesus then, it should be evidenced by changes in our lives. And not just changes in our behavior, and that's important, but also changes in the way that we think, in the way that we see situations, and changes in our attitudes. It changes in our values, what we think is most important. 
what we give our time to, what we give our energy to, what we give our focus to, where we invest our resources, those things should be changing in our stories. The way that we conduct our relationships, the way that we see other people, the compassion that we live with, the grace that we extend to others, the forgiveness that we show. We should be changing. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, that means that our lives should be changing. So the question is, as a follower, how has your life changed? And when's the last time that you can look back and say, oh, I have seen this change in my life? Because if nothing's changing, there's questions about how you're following. Second thing here, following Jesus is personal. Jesus says what to these guys? Follow me. And he invites us to follow him, not religion or not rituals or not the rules or not some, you know, guru that's just on his self-help crusade or, you know, give me money crusade. It's about following Jesus who's actually God himself. So it's not following Anything that we associate religion as much as it is that we're following Jesus Christ, the person. For a lot of us, though, when it comes to our following, it's not defined by our relationship with Jesus. It's often defined by our relationship with religious things. So if we were to ask, hey, are you following Jesus? Well, sure I am. I go to church every week. Well, that may or may not mean that you're following Jesus. Now, if you're following Jesus, you're probably going to go to church. But the fact that you're going to church doesn't mean that you're following Jesus, if that makes sense. Because sometimes we find religious replacements for Jesus himself. And so the church can be a, a replacement. Because we like some ministry that the church does, or we like the buzz around the church, or, or maybe we like the, the Christian community. And so we come on Sundays because it's, you know, we get to hang out with our friend. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that's not what it means to follow Jesus. Or sometimes we like the culture, and there's a certain culture that goes with Christianity and following Jesus that's pretty positive, and it's pretty hopeful, and it's pretty warm, and it's pretty inclusive. All these things are part of it. And God intended to be that way, but that still doesn't mean that you're following Jesus. Because following Jesus is personal. And so the question this morning is, if you were to strip away all of the Christian surroundings that you have, what would still remain of your faith? And what would still remain of your relationship with Jesus? Because that's what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship. Is it's a personal connection with Jesus Christ where I am focused on becoming like Jesus Christ. So in this story, we see Peter and, and Andrew and James now, we see them leave their nets and follow Jesus, except for the fact that they don't completely. They spend some time with him, obviously, and yet they still spend some time fishing. And so it's not that they've, they've turned their back on their career, it's just that they've like added one more thing into their schedule. And Jesus is that thing that they've added in, and they're following with him. Until we get to Luke chapter 5. And then we see a new story here. Luke chapter 5, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which was 
another name for the Sea of Galilee, which let me just point out here, they're back to the same place again. Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon or to Peter, and he asked them to put out from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking now, he says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners with the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. He said, get away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were established to catch the fish they had taken. So were James and John, their partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now some scholars think that this is the same story that we just read in Matthew chapter 4. But I would disagree. One of the reasons that I would disagree is because the details are very different in these two stories. But another thing is this. This is a miraculous story, right? Put your nets down and you pull up so many fish and the nets that your, your nets about. But the Bible tells us in John chapter 2 that the first miracle that Jesus did was turning water to wine. But Jesus was there turning water to wine with his disciples. So those disciples must have been Peter, Andrew, James, John from that first meeting in the Sea of Galilee where Jesus says, come and follow. And now we have a second meeting at that same sea, but we're taking this discipleship thing a step further. Because up till now, it's been something that they've added on. And at this point, it becomes completely immersive, where they actually walk away from the fishing business where they leave their nets, where they leave their boats, where they leave their family and say, I am going in a completely new direction. And it's where they get to the point where it's not just we're listening to you, Jesus, but it's now to the point where we're in this with you, Jesus. In this invitation to follow, Jesus isn't just saying, come listen to me. He's saying, come live life with me. Come follow me and watch everything that I'm doing. In fact, I'm going to let you be a part of what's going on here. So if I'm feeding 5,000, you could feed them with me. If, if, I, if, if we're healing, well, actually, I'm going to send you on some, some journeys here where you're going to have the power to heal. And so it takes it a step further. In it's where we get to the place where my following isn't one more thing up there on the shelf. It's the shell. It's that everything that I do is about following Jesus. So it's not an add-on, but it's an all-in. And it's where we shift from making my life and adding Jesus to it, we start to look at Jesus' life and adding my life to it. And so there's a huge shift there in fellowship when it becomes immersive. There's another interesting thing to think about, too, here, that following Jesus is daily. A lot of times we make following our weekend event, following Jesus, okay, that's where we go to church on Sunday, that's where we do ministry on Sunday, um, that's, you know, kind of 
we have our sixth day and then we have our Sunday thing that we drop in there. And that's where we give our Jesus focus, our spiritual focus. That's not how it worked with Jesus. In fact, Jesus, when he originally called these guys, it wasn't on, uh, might have been a Sabbath, a Sunday, but it wasn't on a Sabbath because they were working. So Jesus was actually out there engaged with them on some other day of the week. But it's just a reminder to us that this idea of following Jesus is not a one day a week thing. It's an every day a week thing because that's how Jesus did ministry. That's how he lived. If we're going to follow Jesus, it needs to be Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Every day needs to be a part of that equation. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, follow me, but this time I want you to be all in. And Peter says, okay, I'm all in. And everything's going great until somewhere down the line, maybe three years down the line, this story takes a turn. Because they leave up north in Galilee where all of the ministry of Jesus has gone on, and they head south to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and they prepare for the supper, but they don't realize it's what we now call the Last Supper. So we're fast-forwarding in Peter's life quite a ways here. But he gets to the Last Supper, and Jesus forecasts Peter's denial. And of course, Peter says, no, I'll never deny you. I'll go with you to the death, and Jesus no, you're going to deny me. And then we have the crucifixion and the resurrection. But then we get to John chapter 21. And it says this, afterward, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, who was from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out and fish, Simon Peter said. Well, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, do you have any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple that Jesus loved, or John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard this, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he dove in. He waded to shore because he didn't wait for the boat there. And we have this situation where Peter is denied Christ and Jesus says, I'm going to restore you. And this follows the resurrection. But it's where Jesus sits down with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you, Lord. He says, well, feed my sheep. And then he turns to Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, I love you, Lord. Well, feed my sheep. And he says the third time, Peter, do you love me? And it seems to correspond to those three denials of Peter. And he says again, feed my sheep. But Jesus is restoring Peter to this following. And so there's some points that we can learn from this. Following Jesus is going to be externally focused. First of all, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You're going to be reaching out to other people. Now he says to Peter, follow me. And that's how he concludes that story there in John 21. Follow me and feed my sheep. But make your life, if you're going to be about following me, it's never about you. It's always about other people. Feeding sheep. Fishing for men. And so if we're going to be followers, it should be defined by how externally focused we are. Sharing the good news of Christ, 
in sharing the love of Christ in the situations that we find. It's also this. It's also incremental. And I suppose you could put other words in here, but or sporadic. There's an awful lot of, of starts and stops to following Jesus. And as we look at Peter's life, he, he, he wasn't an all up and to the right guy. He was, right? Okay, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and then the next thing is, is Jesus is having to say, get, get, behind me, get behind me, Satan. Because he goes from the peak to the valley. And one moment, he's jumping out of the boat and walking on water, and the next moment, he's sinking. In one moment, Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church on you. And the next moment, Peter's around a fire saying, I never knew this Jesus person. It was an up and down affair. And as we follow Christ, I think this can be a huge encouragement to us. We're not going to get it all right. It's going to be ups and it's going to be downs. And it's going to be ups and it's going to be downs. And as we get to this point in Peter's story here, it's a huge down, isn't it? He has just betrayed Jesus. And Jesus says, let's get you back on track. And he finishes that story there in John chapter 21. He finishes in verse number 19. He says to Peter, hey, follow me. And he goes back to that same invitation that he had given years before. But what's interesting to me in this story is that he goes back to this invitation at the same place again. They're back in Galilee. And if you look there in John chapter 21, it starts out saying what? After Jesus appeared, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Crucifixion. And the resurrection, where did that take place? That took place all south, down in the Jerusalem area. But now Jesus has gone back up north. In fact, Jesus said that he would. In Mark 14, 27, he said, you will fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. In Mark 16, when they come to the tomb, the angel says this, Go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So I come to this question as we wrap up here this morning, why Galilee? And I have to wonder if Jesus didn't want to take Peter back to the place again. The place where the first time he said, hey, follow me. The place where a second time he said, hey, follow me. But I mean like, all in, follow me. And if he didn't come back a third time to that same place and say, hey, Peter, follow me. And so that brings me to a question, though. We can talk about our up north places. And my family, we can talk about Manistee and how much fun we've had. But can we take that and transfer that just a little bit to say what has been your Jesus place? What's been the place where you met Jesus? Even the first time. The first time where you were on the shore and he walked by and said, hey, follow me. Where was that? When was that? 
Can you go back to that place? Maybe you can go back to the place where Jesus said to you, hey, follow me, but it was a different invitation this time. It was an all-in invitation. And where you said, okay, I'm all-in. And you followed him. And maybe this morning, it's taking you back to one of those places because as you look at this, how am I following? Well, I'm not following And maybe Jesus is saying to you, hey, will you go back? Will you meet me here? Will you go back to the shore here in Galilee and revisit that place and get going on track again? Because following Jesus is a personal thing. It's about you and about Jesus and nobody else. And so the question this morning, just two of them as we finish up here, where is your place? And do you need to go back?